in between um, you know, semesters. Uh, I'll be actually headed back today uh, after church uh, to begin a, uh, another short semester tomorrow um, in uh, exegesis of uh, Philippians. And so if you could just be praying for safe travels back um, today and limited traffic, uh, that would be, be fantastic. Um, please turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Book of Ephesians written by Paul. Paul served, uh, ministered three years in Ephesus. Um, and the primary purpose of uh, the book of Ephesians is to uh, create unity between the Gentiles and the Jews, uh, Jewish Christians. And uh, you see the primary purpose that Paul gives in Ephesians 4, 1, which is uh, to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. So today we're going to be looking at Ephesians 2, 13 through 18, and to see uh, what does this unity look like between the Jews and the Gentiles. So let us read Ephesians 2, 13 through 18. Paul says, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once uh, were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with his commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he has put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we, ha- we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Let's pray. Let's pray. Triune God, we ask for your blessing today. I know that my brothers and sisters have come hungry to hear your word. So, Father, in the next few minutes and moments, help us to be fed by you through your book of Ephesians. Help us to open our hearts today so that your words may permeate into our hearts. Help us to open our minds so we might think more of your thoughts and help us to open our hands we might receive words of instruction and know how to live to honor and glorify you. Father, please help us to recognize your grace in light of, uh, in light of Christmas and your son coming to die for us. Help us to recognize that we wouldn't be here without Christ and his work on the cross. Thank you for today. Thank you for your people who have come to hear your word. And seek to glorify you in all that they do and say. Amen. Is it in vain, sir, to extenuate the matter? Gentlemen may cry, peace, peace. But there is no peace. The war is actually begun. The next gale that sweeps from this north will bring to our ears the clash of resounding arms. Our brethren are already in the field. Why stand we here idle? 
What does that gentleman wish? What would they have? Is life so dear or peace so sweet as to purchase at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, almighty God. I know not, of course, what others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. These are the words spoken by Patrick Henry in March 1775 in his speech, Give me liberty or give me death. Uh, These words were spoken at the Virginia Convention to help pass a, a resolution to set Virginia troops to the Revolutionary War. It is on account of Patrick Henry's speech that he persuaded uh, the, uh, the group of individuals, individuals there to send troops to help in the war. What stands out to me most in this speech, in this section that I just read, is his cry, peace, peace. But there is no peace. As I've been thinking over the last few weeks about what is peace, uh, and, you know, sitting in church or just in everyday life, hearing how peace is used. We get Christmas cards that say joy and peace. Or peace be with you, go in peace. Or the song that's sometimes sung at this time is, uh, the last statement is, peace on earth begins with me. And as I think about, you know, what is, what is peace and do we have peace? Uh, I ask myself, um, does peace on earth, does it start with me? Or does it start somewhere else? Who does peace start with? I have to also ask myself, do I have peace in my relationships? Do I have peace uh, at the work site, on the job? Do I have peace with my coworkers? What about peace in the home? Do you have peace with your loved ones, with your wife, with your husband, with your children, with your relatives or in-laws? What about peace with God? You feel like you can you can talk with God, do you feel like you can you can speak to God freely, or do you feel like God has hurt you in some way? That God has withheld blessings? Today, my hope is that we can look at Ephesians 2 and recognize what peace really is. And second of all, what is the purpose of peace in the Christian life? You see, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Ephesians was written to, uh, to bring about unity between these two entirely different groups of people. Between the Gentiles who lived uh, very carelessly at times and lived in their uh, own uh, devices and the Jews who tried to follow uh, an exact law given by God to the very best of their abilities. And so uh, Ephesians tries to bring these two groups together in light of what Jesus has already done on the cross. So we talk about the inclusion of the Gentiles and the bringing together peace. We think of uh, these, these two groups uh, coming together and, uh, and becoming one. Uh, and Paul says, notice with me what Paul says in verse 13. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away 
have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Notice how he starts. He says, but now. He's, he's, he's demonstrating a transition there. So what is he transitioning from? Well, we see that in verse 2, 1 through 3. When he says, as for you, you were dead in your transgress- transgressions and sins in which you used to live. When you followed the ways of the world. He's talking to the Gentiles there. And also again in verse 11. He says therefore remember. That you were formerly Gentiles by birth. And called uncircumcised. To those who were called themselves circumcisions. Uh, that done in the body by the hands. Remember. That at that time you were separate from Christ. Excluded from citizenship in Israel. And foreigners to the covenant. Of the promise. So he's, he's demonstrating, he's speaking directly to the Gentiles now and reminding them that they are no longer foreigners. They are no longer aliens to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But now, because of what Jesus has done for them, that they are being brought near. Notice the, the phrase that he says. He says, but now in Christ Jesus. That little phrase, those three words, they really govern the rest of these verses through verse 18. And we don't have to necessarily think of in Jesus Christ, but uh, we might want to think of it as being through Jesus Christ. For instance, um, if you are about to enter the Lehigh Valley Tunnel, you say, I'm going to enter uh, into the tunnel. But what you're really doing is you're moving through the tunnel. And the same thought could be looked at here in verse 13, that when he says, I am in Jesus Christ, that he's telling, uh, that Paul is telling the Gentiles that it is through Jesus Christ that you are brought near. And so he's thinking of uh, that the Gentiles are brought through the death, burial of Jesus Christ. And he compliments that when he says uh, that they are brought near through The blood of Christ. Again in verse 13. So Paul's uh, statement to the Gentiles who were once far away. Is that they are now brought near uh, in Christ Jesus by his blood on the cross. Now this is not to say that the Gentiles could never come near before Christ. We have plenty of examples from the Old Testament. That Gentiles came uh, to Christ such as Rahab or Ruth. Or others that said, I don't want to live uh, in separation from God. I want to choose to to change my life and draw closer to the God of Israel. And so they could draw near to God. But most people, most Gentiles didn't. But Paul is transitioning saying, but now for the Gentiles, they can be brought to God because of his blood. Verse 14, again, uh, demonstrates and reiterates uh, what is happening and why the Gentiles and Jews can come together in unity and uh, demonstrate peace. It says, for he himself is our peace. He has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Verse 14 tells us where peace actually comes from. It says, he is our peace. It doesn't say that peace on earth starts 
on a beach 50 miles from the nearest town. It says peace, uh, that Jesus Christ is our peace. Peace is possibly possible with each other because it stems from Christ. Notice the metaphor that he gives in verse 14. He says, Jesus Christ has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. This barrier is, is somewhat like a partition. You see a lot of partitions on I-81 uh, because there's so much construction. And partitions are, are there to help someone recognize where you can, where you can drive, and where you can't drive. Paul is saying, uh, there, Jesus has destroyed this partition, this barrier between the Jews and the Greeks. In verse 15, he demonstrates what that metaphor is. He says, by setting aside the flesh, uh, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. I like how the ESV renders this section. It says, by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in its ordinances. This helps us illustrate that Paul's not just talking about the Ten Commandments here, but he's talking about all the commandments in the Torah, Genesis through Deuteronomy. Some scholars would say that this refers to some uh, 600 or more uh, laws and commandments and regulations given by God in the Old Testament. So what might be being implied here is that Paul's saying this: these laws, whether they're moral, ceremonial, or social laws aren't in effect anymore between the Jews and the Greeks. Because the Jews, they looked at this raw, these laws as, as regulations. And so Jews coming to Christ would look at the Gentiles and say, you can't come to Christ. You, you don't follow these, this list of rules and regulations by which we obey and which we come to God with. Whereas the Gentiles, they would look at the Jews and say, you guys are, are legalistic. You think you have to follow those 600 laws to obey God. But you don't. And so there's a difference here. And Paul is saying, Jesus, first of all, he has destroyed this dividing wall that separated the Jews from the Greeks. But not only that, has he, he has abolished, he has abolished uh, the law and its commandments with its regulations, how it is expressed. But not only that, we give, he demonstrates the purpose by which the law, uh, this wall of hostility, has been destroyed. Now, as we find at the end of verse 15, when he says, His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of two, thus making peace. If we think about this phrase, create in himself one new man, out of two. Does that echo a passage in your mind? What does that sound like? For me, that, the, the uh, passage that he might be thinking of here in reference is Genesis 2, 20 through 24. Let me read that for you. It says, So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, 
He took one of man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. This is why a a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. It is no coincidence that Paul is is looking at the relationship between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians, uh, those that have two completely different ethnic and religious backgrounds, and says that God is creating one new human. And in a sense, it echoes Genesis 2. Because just as, as man and woman were entirely different, and yet God brought them together to be one. Here too, what Paul is relating, he's saying, both the Gentile Christians and the Jewish Christians have completely two different backgrounds, and yet they can be brought together to make one new human. That serves and glorifies God. Verse 16, 17, and 18. And it says, In in this one body is to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you, those who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. See, Paul is, again, he's overemphasizing the work of Christ to demonstrate the where peace actually comes from. And again, he's reiterating that peace doesn't come, uh, <coughs> doesn't start on earth, but it started with Christ. Because peace uh, and, the, and the work of Christ brings together these two groups of people into one body. And Jesus put to death the hostility. So what does this look like? What does this peace look like for both the Gentiles and the Jews? How is it tangible between them? If Paul is saying, you, there's no longer hostility. Jesus says, as one, he has destroyed the wall, the dividing wall that divided you. He has uh, abolished the law, the commandments, his regulations. And three, he has, he has put to death uh, the hostility between these two completely different uh, ethnic and religious groups. So if then, what does, where do they go from here? What does that peace look like? Well, I think that peace looks like uh, Paul's discussion in 4, verses 1 through 3. And Paul says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the what? Through the bond of peace. Through the bond of peace. See, the Jewish Christians could no longer look down upon the Gentiles for not keeping the law of God. And Gentile Christians could no longer ridicule the Jews, for their legalistic obedience to every commandment and ordinances. 
Because the law which brought hostility to the Jews and the Gentiles, it was destroyed, abandoned, and put to death by Jesus Christ. So therefore, how did, the, how did these uh, new Christians apply their relationship, their, their being in Christ? Well, they learned to, to apply it through these principles. To be humble, completely humble with each other, to be gentle, to be patient, to bear with one another in love, and to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit, which is that bond of peace. But how does the peace apply for us today? What is, what is Paul teaching us some you know, 2,000 years later that apply to our life and our church today? Let me first tell you what peace does not look like in 2016. Recently, a Wheaton professor, Dr. Lacia Hawkins, uh, who is, uh, she teaches um, political science, she was suspended because she made the statement that both Christians and Muslims worship the same God. Is that an example of peace? No, I don't think so. Because why? Because it, it, <coughs> it neglects doctrine. At the very heart of, of Christianity is the recognition of a God that has done everything uh, for us. That he has created us. And that he loves us. And that he sent his son to die for us. At the core belief of, of Islam is a God that terrorizes those who don't obey Is a God that only loves certain people. And it's far from the teachings of the Christian faith. In doing so, she was suspended from Wheaton uh, because of her perspective, which is un- uh, not consistent with what we believe. You see, peace... Uh, peace is not giving up doctrine. Peace is not uh, giving up faith. Notice that Paul is not advocating for world peace here. He's not advocating that everybody uh, across the board, uh, across religions, agree on the same thing. But Paul is particularly talking to Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. You see, Paul uh, Paul is fighting for a peace... That is between brothers and sisters in Christ. Peace too often is a state in which we say, I have peace. You know, I, I, I'm trying to find peace as an emotional thing. But for Paul here in Ephesians, it's relational. It's between two groups of people. It's, in a sense, you might never find peace in the workplace. You might never have peace with your relatives. You might never have peace with your neighbor. But you should always seek to have peace with God. Seek to have peace with your family. And at church. Because the hostility has been destroyed. Because the law and its commandments have been abandoned. And because that hostility has been put to death by Jesus Christ. Therefore, you can have peace with those who agree that Jesus Christ has saved them. Second thing that 
peace does not look like. Is not, peace is not devoid of truth. If you think back to the peace of the 50s and 60s, it left truth behind. And it was peace was relative. I have peace, you have peace. But peace is not void of truth. Peace today is that which is grounded in the person and work of Christ. Paul's not saying, hey, you know, you Gentiles, you Jews, you each have your own peace. No, that peace is stemmed, uh, is stemming from the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's because Christ has, has destroyed the hostility between the Jews, Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. That therefore, they can relate to each other and have peace. So what does it mean here, Paul, when he's talking about the bond of peace? What does that mean for today? Well, peace, for me, in looking at this passage, is the extraction of hostility. So we no longer need to have hostility between brothers and sisters in the church. We no longer uh, need to continue to have hostility in the family, in the home, or even with God. Because Christ has destroyed that hostility. Therefore, we can have peace. Often in thinking about the bond of peace, um, an example comes to mind. And, uh, and recognize that peace, making a bond of peace with someone uh, really means uh, saying that you won't, you won't do something rather than actually do something. I think about um, Pastor Dan often gave me an example that um, that in his marriage with Ruth Ann that he will he will never cross a certain line and you just say no I won't I won't go there and won't do that and it's because he won't cross that line therefore that they continue to have peace and rely upon each other and I think that's true for all of our relationships as we have seek to have peace with God we'll say God I will never. I will never criticize you. I will never blame you for this. But instead, I will praise you and seek to honor you because you have removed thy hostility. You have brought and drawed me near to you. In your relationship with your spouse, seeking to make a bond of peace is saying, this is what I will not do. I won't call you these names. I won't, I won't talk negative about you. But instead, it is saying because Jesus Christ has taken away the hostility that I can relate to you. That we can grow closer to God together. Even with the families and the homes. What hostility, what wall of hostility have you built between you and your kids? Do your kids come to you for advice? Or do they stray away from you? Is there open communication? Or have you closed that door? You see, the hostility between parents and kids uh, in the Christian home is not a result of, of, of living and walking uh, in peace. But as we seek to live in light of the bond of peace, seek to live in peace with each other, it's recognizing that peace isn't uh, dependent upon us. But it's dependent on what Christ has done for us. Therefore, we can live in peace with each other. Live without hostility. Because Christ has destroyed that hostility for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that all hostility has been removed. 
regardless if we uh, recognize all the background and the history between the Jews and the Greeks, we can still recognize that peace is tangible, that we can live at peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ, regardless of race, regardless of beliefs, but instead focus on the truth and live in light of that peace. Thank you for your work on the cross. Thank you that we can live in peace because you are our peace and we can seek to glorify and obey you. It's your name that I pray. Amen.